0: Welcome to Inner Explorations with Angela and Victor, a yoga podcast. My name is Blake Tedder. I'm a yoga teacher and a student of Angela Farmer and Victor Van Kooten, two teachers who have fundamentally changed my life by pointing me to radically creative and alive ways to inhabit and move in my body. This podcast aims to bring you inspired and exploratory conversations with these two yoga visionaries who are now in their 80s and living in Malivos, Greece, where their yoga scene is a little more down to earth than here in the United States. It consists of cats, a garden and the Aegean Sea. I'm honored to facilitate these conversations about approaching yoga as a deeply personal and inner guided practice that brings us home to ourselves and to the beautiful life that's all around us. I really hope you enjoy. You can find out more about Angela and Victor at Angela-Victor.com, where as of May, 2021, Angela is still teaching classes via Zoom, not her preference, but she's totally glad to connect with people. And uh, Victor has a new video on exploration of anantasana it's really great highly recommend it's great to have video of of these two wonderful people lastly you can email me questions that you have for angela and victor and we'll see if we can get them on the podcast uh, that address is angela victor podcast at gmail.com In this conversation, we find out who are these people anyways (laughs) and we learn about what makes Angela and Victor's approach to yoga so different and potent, I would say, in healing and becoming more receptive to life. In part one, we learn about their break with BKS Iyengar and the evolution of their teaching or the unfolding as Angela says. We talk about the pitfalls of following a guru figure and the motivations. For following your own path, <laughs> Angela and Victor, it's great to have you on uh, this podcast, and I'm I'm just really excited about having this opportunity to speak with you and to share your teachings with with people out in in the world. And through the magic of technology, we can we can do this now, which is which is wonderful. Um, do you have any uh, thoughts about this podcast? Are you excited about this opportunity? Oh, of course.
1: It's always nice to talk with you, Blake.
0: Oh, not to talk to me. I'm, I'm nothing. It's just reaching out to other people in in the world. I, I assume that's... <laughs> you, have that's no,
1: you have no
2: idea how important it is for us to talk to somebody who had tasted our teachings and who is actually also inspired by it and uses it. So uh, from your point of view, you're not kind of uh, fishing in, in, in unclear water. So
0: Well, I was, I was just practicing before our call and working deeply and into some weird area, strange dark area in my hip. And I was just grateful that I've had the teachings to say, keep going, keep going in there and and search around and see what's going on. And it's better than what I might have done if I had never met you guys, which was to push into that mm-hmm. and open it up. So it, it makes me uh, want to There's
1: one thing that um, I think both Victor and I, <clears throat> when we're not uh, involved either in our own practice or teaching, um, <clears throat> it 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 we are not thinking in terms of this, you know, because we're present wherever we are. And it's only when somebody turns up and either needs help, or there's a class to teach, or somebody like you starts asking questions, that um, that we would begin to pull more information out of and memories of what we did in the past and even be inspired by the question to look further.
0: That is understandable, yeah.
2: And the biggest challenge for us is also to have our own problems and our own pains that kind of calls us inside. We have to be there, be with it, and, and, and find a better attitude than the ones that like, I got to get rid of it. Mm. You know, like, why is it there? That, yeah, we both have... Um, there's a lot of topics. sentimental uh, blah, blah around uh, how to do this. But, um, you know, talking to your inner body doesn't mean language. So it's... Uh, my, biggest, my biggest problem in yoga is that it has, it has given me the opportunity, just like in painting, to be totally accepting everything, which is also accepting the nothingness, mm. the dark areas that are lying deep inside you. And since you don't see them, we lack the vision. So we have to create a vision and go wandering and maybe get lost now and then. Often we get lost and, um, you know, you just open your eyes and you're back.
0: But uh, it's easy. <laughs> you know, just th- the first question I wanted to ask you all is something that I think we're we're already beginning to talk about, which is that what you present uh, and what you teach is 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 a bit different than than what is commonly taught as yoga, and I'm wondering um, if we can get into into that a little bit by a little bit of your story first. And I think for the benefit of this podcast and and new listeners to to uh, this podcast into into you, it would be nice to just hear a little bit of your history, we don't want to spend a lot of time in it, because you're very much in your in your present moment. And, and we are too. But I I think it would be useful. So um, I wonder if you can tell me, like, when did you realize there was a problem? At, At what point did you realize it was a problem? Or something was off in the way that yoga was was being taught is? Is there a little story you could could share with us?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I must say I was fascinated by the whole practice of yoga uh, from the beginning, but I was also somewhat out of my body anyway from, from um, early injuries and trauma and so on. And so a very aggressive, more, um, let's say, regimental approach uh, fitted with my kind of background and my experience for a while, and um, because I I was in pain a lot and I was struggling with um, some deep issues from the past and from heavy surgery, and so it was a way to continue that battle, and um, it was exciting and um, terrifying and challenging. And all of that was just what I needed, I think, at the time. but um, over over my time in India and in my own practice, I began to feel that uh, it it wasn't really working for me. Um, i I could do more, uh, and that was exciting. I could make my body do more things, but I didn't feel anything really deep inside was changing or being touched. And so I then realized that this was not, after some time, this was really not where I wanted to be, but um, I didn't want to leave before I really had a clear reason and a clear understanding why I was leaving. Because if I just left because it was too painful, too challenging, I would afterwards think, oh, I just chickened out. So I continued until one day it just became very clear. I was in the studio in Pune and I practiced and then I'd done the class and suddenly, I looked around and I saw all these people who had some of them done it for much longer than me, been with Ayanga longer than me. And um, I realized that I didn't experience any feeling of inner transformation. There was lots about improving the poses, but I didn't feel there was anybody there that I could really feel comfortable with in the journey that I was wanting to continue on. and then it then it was clear. But to actually leave um took a long time because although, in, Intellectually, I was ready to leave. the 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 connection that you make with the teacher and with the teaching, and what I'd given of my life to this practice, was so bound in, and it it took several years to gradually sever all the different parts of the umbilical cord.
0: Now, so, now, Angela, thank you. when you When you were when you were talking about leaving. Um, were you actually a teacher uh, with Iyengar? Were, were you... Were you just... Yeah,
1: I've been, a, I've been a teacher of his for 10 years, actually. I've been to India three times through extensive periods, but I didn't only uh, spend my time studying with him. Um, I was somehow gifted with uh, extraordinary experiences in India and, and met other forms of yoga and yogis, not that I... Well, there was one that I did spend time with, a very beautiful old man who taught pranayama with mantra. But um, mostly it was just opening my eyes and my experiences to the incredible place India is, if you start going into the undergrowth. And um, just my general experience, I really admire Iyengar and I think he was fundamental for me in in uh, in the beginning um, that was wonderful. but And I think many people I see now who have studied with him in the past, some of his long-time teachers, many of them have now begun to dare to find their own way and use it as a background but find their own way Further or out of it, and for and then um, for me, it was more more about um, discovering an inner world. And uh, then Victor mm-hmm. and I got together, and we started together to teach and unfold. I don't think I would say create. We unfolded because we didn't really know where we were going, or at least I speak for myself. Um, it was an unfolding process. Something new would come up and, and that would go evolve. It didn't have a structure like Iyengar's yoga did. So it was a question of slowly letting go of a more regimented form. And now it's it's gone, you know, it's got its own path totally. Um, Victor has his path and I have mine, but I think they're very interlinked. Um, and everybody has to find their own path in the end. If you don't, what's the point?
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and Victor, I'm wondering if you have a similar story from your perspective of when you realized there was something off with with yoga. Was it at the exact same time were you and Angela speaking about it or did did you did you meet in in your room wherever you were saying and say, Hey, we we need to talk about this guy. This is not quite this is not quite working out was it secret and clandestine or was it just a you say it's just an unfolding maybe it was more natural than that what was that like
2: uh, well <clears throat> it, it had many different angles first of all a think personality secondly my personality and the clash between them that was invisible because he said He thought that I was like his younger brother. So I had a very strong connection with him. I invited him to come to Holland and uh, I was really um, impressed with him. The only danger that I always felt is that it is wrong to be impressed by somebody else. Uh, And because it, it takes away your own impression you know, your own validity, basically. And so you become a follower and I couldn't do that. I can't be a follower. I followed my own path always. And even within the Iyengar, uh framework that we were both, uh, Angela and there was a handful of teachers who were very close to Iyengar. And we taught yoga all over the world. Uh, and that was his wish because we were so-called advanced yoga teachers. Although I didn't believe in the certificates and all those who uh, didn't believe in the certificates were called advanced yoga teachers, funnily enough. And all the ones that were more following him and following to the letter, uh, they got intermediate uh, or senior Uh, certificate or beginning certificate so the whole certificate business was already a big hindrance for me and I I always stood up against it and I thought I could do that with the younger because he was a friend basically he happened to have the same birthday as my father the 14th of December he was younger he's 20 years older than I was but uh, my father had the same attitude towards my brother and me and that is kicking, demanding, having crazy demands to be followed up or else, you know. So I didn't like that very much. And so that I didn't like in a younger's attitude either, that there was so much fear-based teaching going on. And I, I, I also saw the paralysis that he finally gave me by pushing my back and breaking my back that uh, in the yoga class, it was not that bad. It's just also my choice. I said, if I can't trust a man, how can I trust the maker of man, God, basically? So I let him push me. Uh, I allowed it. That, Two first times, I said no, 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 I can't, and I moved out of it. And he became very angry, and then, I'll hit you. and And so I said no, I have to uh, surrender somehow to go through this. And then I heard that for three days I shouldn't do, go back to yoga, don't don't follow classes anymore, stop yoga for three days. And I heard that in a very deep, demanding voice. The second time I had this deep, demanding voice, the first time was in, 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 in Switzerland where this deep, demanding voice came over me and said, you have to follow Ayanga as your guru, not for what he can teach, but for what he can't teach you. And that is a koan a that is, you know, sure. taken a long yeah. time to sift into my head it's a lifetime uh you know egg to be hatched well so, you know
0: i think it's i think it's an, it's it's an interesting uh i just want to pause on that for a second i think it's kind of interesting because you're you're saying that um you have to walk your own path and you have to be on your own path and that there's yeah, you, these weren't necessarily your words but there's no real there's no real guru but yourself and uh, and anyone you do follow um, is automatically teaching you what they're teaching you, but also what they can't teach you, which I think is just I think it's pretty profound. And I, and I and I admire both of you so much. And um, I, I, I'm grateful that you don't give me a path to follow. You don't let me uh, you don't let me and maybe some of your other students uh, put you on pedestals. And um, I, I just think that's you you really helped me in that way, because I've been someone who would um, really latch on to, to teachers, you know, Swami Satchidananda was, was big for me for a while, because I went to Yogaville, and, and, um, you know, I love that place, but I, I could see early on how, how quickly people could get attached to, um, to their yoga teachers, and especially to, to ones that have a, great big personality and how um, you can really, you know, with the power balance, it can lead to injury like you're talking about. It can lead to, you know, deeper emotional injury because you're learning not to trust yourself. So I I think that those, those parts of your story are really, you know, quite extreme um, for, for what most people experience in yoga, but they're, but they're, part of the same thing that we're all experiencing when we're learning yeah. something from other people.
1: It, it's, it, it may be helpful in the beginning um, to be able to go to somebody who has more experience, but if they start um, denying your own experience, it becomes a very dangerous path because it's very easy for someone looking up to someone with more experience. And who's a strong personality, even an authority? Because I think many people are raised with, with an authoritarian surrounding. First of all, you've got your parents, and then you've got the schooling and your government, and, and there is a lot of authority around us. And to be to how to find your own path, which ultimately must be totally amazing and beautiful and creative because that's why we're here. But if that is um, if that is endangered at the beginning, and then then you start to look for something because you know something's missing in your life. And you 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 look for it and of course then suddenly appears a teaching or a teacher or a religion or a philosophy that looks like it might have what you were missing, because it has little bits in it that wake you up. And then you start to follow it, and then you get caught by a strong figure, or even just a strong teaching, and you give your soul to it, uh, because you haven't really encountered your soul, or you've lost it, you've lost something, and I think that's one of the biggest problems today because of all the sort of so-called broken homes and problems for young people and so on um but even anybody or, or trauma you know a lot of people have many of us had trauma when we were very young and we may not even remember it everything is everything is caught into the body with trauma mm. so if somebody's too fierce to a child or somebody injures a child or traumatizes a child that is that is um, taken right into the body and that's where it sits and until we meet it there in the body it'll always be a temptation to find a way around it yet mm. another teacher another profession another religious direction Um, So we, I think if a teacher can give some guidance, but also encourage or put people back in whatever way they do it into their own exploration. I, I tend to, when I do a woman's course, it's easier there, it's not possible really on Zoom too much, but... in a a woman's course when the students are there, I always give a fair bit of time, maybe, well, anything like 15, 20 minutes, where the students are totally on their own, exploring a particular aspect of the practice so that they gradually start to trust. Because we don't trust ourselves um, if, we've been with a strong teaching or teacher or authority we feel we're told you don't know we're told you know you're ignorant and 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 many authoritarian figures are good at doing that to people <laughs>
0: yes yes they are so you know i i think we 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 get so used to that way of of thinking and um, and receiving teachings as you know if you're receiving a teaching it's because someone else knows something and I don't uh, so I need to listen to what they're saying they're an authority how, how were your teachings and maybe Victor you could start with this how how were your teachings received at first when you started opening them up and unfolding them and being looser um, You know, did you have students that were like, oh, this is great. I need more of this. Did you have people that were like, "Uh, I'm going to go back to being uh, standing in a line and, you know, being tight about things? Were there were there people that really rejected what you were saying? Or I haven't heard much of that, you know, early days of
2: uh, it's very difficult to say uh, because, to be honest, my personal uh, digestion of the teaching of a Yengar came always out in a different way. So I always wanted to find little details of moving, like, you know, I had the feeling that my, if I was in Shavasana, that my inner spine, my Ida Pingala, Susumna channels, they were like a bowling alley. And I was kind of throwing this heavy ball uh, from my tail to my head and back and see what that did. It was nothing to do with the Yangar. It had nothing to do with the Yangar at all. And also I always found it so silly that you have to do everything straight in straight lines, whereas the yanga himself used to say channels, they are the containers of dead water. But if you have a river, it sways and moves and flows. And I thought, well, hey, yeah, you know it, but why don't you teach, teach not that? And why do we put us in straight lines and have our arms exactly straight? And whereas you don't even have straight arms, you don't have even straight legs. You don't have even a straight back. What is going wrong here? You know? Uh, so uh, but I, I would not be able to discuss it with him, sure. so I kept it inside. And so my teaching was always an interpretation of yenga using the asanas, but trying to find ways in to make it uh, digestible and, and, and reasonable, like a reason uh, you know, to stand on your feet and, and, and not just do a standing pose and not mm. talk about the feet. Things like that, but then only when I came together and had separated from a Yengar after 84 in this uh, convention uh, in San Francisco, uh, we were basically thrown out, both Angela and me. And that was actually a difficult time because suddenly you saw the political side of yoga. Mm. You know, that it's actually you're in or you're out, but you can't play with it. And that was something that I could not digest. And so we actually start to feel freer and freer and start to move more together and find uh, a comfort in in our own shyness, because Angela is deep underneath, as shy as I am deep underneath. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know and 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 i i value my shyness and it maybe came about uh, or was reinforced by a younger and uh, reinforced by my own father demanding and hitting and killing and blah, 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 do this do that, blah, yeah. that you know but i always say okay uh they're so strong they make themselves so they make themselves strong because a younger is also shy on the knees that's the funny thing i recognize the lot. Mm. He's a very great guy and he had great moments of intuition and clairvoyance. And yet you had to follow him uh, with his forceful shining out. And I thought, okay, you sit outside and you stare into the sun and it makes you blind,
0: Mm. you know, Mm. you
2: you don't see anymore. And I think that that is the difficulty that I had, you know. uh, He is so impressive doing pranayama with his chest. And you had to you your watch and see how many minutes he could inhale, and how many minutes he could hold it and how many minutes. And it was so impressive. And I thought, well, here we sit all around and this guy takes all the air. We have nothing to breathe. <laughs> for. You know, it became kind of comic.
0: Well, you know, I think that's it's I I, I do have those those images of, of him in those pictures with the big chest and it's it's almost Um, cartoonish and, and also like really inspiring, like maybe that's something my body could do as well. And I get, I can, I I remember my early days in yoga thinking, you know, I really need to read light on yoga because this guy has, has got it. He can do that with his chest. So I'm, I I need to do that too. And it it reminds me of, um, you know, I, I I admire someone like Wim Hof and I don't know if you've you've, are familiar with, with him, but he's a very, the Iceman, the Iceman. He's a very popular teacher and his brand (coughs) is really growing right now, but you know, people are following him because he can run a marathon across the Antarctic or he can, you know, go 20 days across the desert and breathe, you know, with, with this extreme intensity. And that is all absolutely amazing. I mean, it's just amazing, but, um, I don't know that that's it's certainly not something I need to to uh, no to force and practice. I mean, I think he's probably got a genetic gift there too. But it's also you know <laughs> something. So ah,
2: that's very important. Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah. gift. That's so, uh, why Angela is different, and she feels different, things different. I am different, think yeah. different. Uh, if we won't allow ourselves to be different,
0: what's the use? Hundred percent agree, and and that brings me to a question. I think what both of you are talking about um, is about coming to a more natural state and and getting closer to who you really are. And Angela, I've heard you talk about how yoga is like a process of coming home. And I'm wondering if you could just, uh, you know, come home a little bit more to that idea right now, and and just talk about what that means to you. To to come home. Yeah, to find I just really would are. like
1: to, to say one more thing on, sure. on what you were talking about before, because um, it's very easy to judge other people. And what I've noticed that when you judge somebody, it leaves a nasty feeling inside a nasty taste in the in the immediate time of judging it makes you feel you're on a better track or that it gives you some more confidence but <clears throat> i think that we should celebrate everybody who is finding themselves um of course if they use it in a really aggressive destructive way to other people then uh, we cannot condone that but um when somebody really finds something uh, we should celebrate it, that it's, the, it's their greatness and um we have to take the inspiration and go inside and find where we can find more of ourselves like the, but that is related to nature because every tree has to find out who it is as itself. It has to get its roots down deep in the earth. And that's 100% full-time work, I would imagine, especially when it's the kind of earth we have here, which is at the bottom of a valley and a very thick, heavy earth. Clay. Clay, yes. Uh, and then it can start to come up more uh, And then its whole intensity is to be who it is and open more branches and open more leaves. And so that that is something that, you know, I I think when you start looking at people doing other things, whether it's uh, spending 60 minutes in ice, ice, In in ice, really, (laughs) yes, water, or a marathon across the North Pole. I mean, you can say amazing. Uh, But then I also want to ask them, and what is happening? How do you feel inside? Do you love the people around you more? Do you feel more comfortable being who you are? And can you spend more time joyfully? doing what you love doing uh, so that you begin to radiate who you are so that your practice, whatever it is, sitting in ice or uh, doing amazing gymnastics or studying Sanskrit or the Vedas, do you feel more full and more in love with life? And can you move more freely in difficult situations? And like Victor said, but his injury was a teacher for him. And I think the the obstacles we meet, ultimately, are are, our best teachers. (laughs) How do we deal with them? And one way is to go around by making yourself stronger and tougher so that you don't have to meet them. Uh, Another way is to dwell on them and roll yourself down into depression or sickness. Mm-hmm. Another way is to go very slowly until you can be face-to-face and connect with them because they hurt parts of us. It's like we have these little children inside who are hurt. And some of them have closed up totally and are hiding under the stairs.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: right. Some of them, so it's very hard, it's, it's a tough journey to do. And I don't think anyone can do it for a long period of time, but if every day you take a few minutes to go and connect with and be present with and listen to and stay with that place that is trying to push you away, its so painful or so uncomfortable, um, then your day changes. You've met a part of yourself that is beginning to return. And that is the coming home feeling as you you dare to meet and open up places that have been closed down or frozen. Um, And with regard to how uh, changing the yoga uh, affected the students, I had a very dramatic moment. I was teaching in um, Featherpipe Ranch in Maine. And I was in that period of time when my practice was finding its own way and starting to really change. But I was still known as an Iyengar teacher. So I was preventing the usual asana and everything in the way. They were supposed to be done. And at some point I felt I can't do this anymore. And I left the class for a minute and went outside. And I don't know if you know Feather Pipe Ranch, but it's a beautiful place.
0: Is it it's Montana? Is it in yes. Montana? Yeah, not not Maine. Uh, I was thinking
1: sky country. And there's a, yep. a, a lake there and forest. Sure. Big sky. And I remember this big thundercloud was coming up. And I just called out from my soul, what shall I do? Because I thought I was becoming schizophrenic. One part was <laughs> going one way, but relate. I was my, giving the other part. And um, you know, Victor has heard his voice. And it's interesting because we a lot of us, our experiences have been similar, they're at different times. Mm-hmm. And I had this deep voice also, and it was very simple. It just came right through and said, stand up and speak. And I took that to mean that I should start to share my practice rather than be um, a re- repetitive ayanga teacher. So I went back in and I could tell you I was really scared. Because in those days, this Iyengar thing, you're either in or you're out. And the students have paid and come to have an Iyengar class. So I started to give a more internal approach, feeling and moving, and nobody said anything. They did it. And nobody threw bad eggs at me.
0: That's good.
1: (laughs) And after the class, to my amazement several people came up and said one person oh this is how yoga used to be for me another person said you know this is what i've been practicing in my room like this secretly mm. and it was like lifting a, la- a locked door of a basement where People had been hiding their secret practice. And they suddenly felt they were allowed to start being more free, being more at ease in their bodies and following their, their own experiences. That gave me huge confidence then. And it wasn't, it wasn't that featherpipe ranch. Um, Because after that, Victor and I started to teach together. And we went to Feather Pipe Ranch. And there was a woman there at that time that we were introduced to. She was quite a known psychic. And she sat with us one day and and she said, you know, in a few years, you won't even recognize your teaching. Mm. And we were not sure about that it did take a few years but I think now she would be <laughs> she would be right on uh,
2: and now we still don't recognize our teaching that's yeah. the important part that's right because <laughs> our teaching is not our teaching it comes through you and you just react on who's in front of you and what the question is and you just bring out you know from the end at that moment and you sometimes think oh my god that's. <laughs> I never thought about that, but it was actually good, what I just said. And then forget it again, because, you know, you have to forget it. You have to forget it all the time. We don't teach.